We were leaving the church parking lot after a Sunday night service. Andrea was in the passenger seat, and McKenna and Rayleigh were in the back seat. McKenna is our firstborn. She was already four years old. She was sprinting toward preschool. She could string sentences together into a story, but Rayleigh was only months old, so so far she hadn't said her first word. I began breaking for the bright red light above us when I heard sweet music from the back seat. Rayleigh said, Dad, Dad. I nearly shoved the brake pedal through the floor. Did you hear that? Andrea had a sweet smile on her face. She heard it. Up until that night, she was winning the first word war. Years earlier, McKenna's first word was, Mama. But on this night, Rayleigh tied the score at one. First words matter. We tell every friend and follower on social media about them. New parents hear it all the time. Hey, has your little guy said his first word yet? Because first words matter. Moses didn't know it, but God was about to speak ten words, ten commandments to form the foundation of his faith. What would God's first word be? They've been wandering through the wilderness for a while. Maybe God's first word would be telling them how to mine water from the wilderness. Or maybe he would tell them how to read a map. Moses was a man, after all. Moses would have taken notes, but God was already taking notes for him. He didn't have to write, just listen. And God spoke the first word. Hey, good day to you, Simplify listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to No Other Gods on Simplify. God's voice boomed out of the heavens. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. I guess we'll have to wait to find out how to drill for water in the wilderness. But before God told Moses what to do and what not to do, he reminded them of who he is and what he has done. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Moses couldn't turn one liter of water into blood. He couldn't change Pharaoh's heart, but God could, and God did. The grace of God rescued Moses and his merry millions. But just in case Moses thought the magic wand opened the ocean, God reminded them he brought them out of Egypt. But he did not just come to them to tell his people, do what I say or else. He revealed himself to them by his covenant name, Jehovah or Yahweh. God is who he is all by himself, but he loves to be in relationship with us just because he loves us. He spoke to them with the authority of the God who created them and with the tenderness of the Father who loved them. God didn't want them to obey him just because they were afraid. He wanted them to obey him because they were thankful. Same with us. We obey God and his word, not because we're afraid he'll pummel us if we don't, but we obey him because we're thankful for who he is and what he has done. Maybe God delivered you from drugs and drinking, or maybe he mended your broken marriage that others already gave up on. He has certainly saved our souls. He's given us peace and chaos and joy and sorrow. God has protected us when we were in danger. He's forgiven our dark past and given us a bright future. All of us could testify until next Haley's Comet, just remembering the blessings God has given us, the grace he has shown to us. If you live for God just out of obligation or tradition, pour yourself some coffee or hot chocolate for those of you like me who haven't yet acquired that taste. Grab a notebook and pen and begin to write out the blessings God has given you. He delivered Israel from Egypt. He's delivered us from sin. 
No other God could set the Israelites free, but it wasn't for lack of candidates. The Egyptians served over 2,000 gods. One God protected pregnant women. Another protected the king in battle. Another brought the floods every year. One goddess helped needy people. Another swallowed the sun god at dusk every day and gave birth to him at dawn every morning. Another kept the sky and earth separated so never the twain would meet. The Egyptians worshipped crocodiles, birds, snakes, turtles, frogs, dogs, cats. I know people love their cats, but I've never seen anybody worship a calico. And yet day after sun-swallowing day, the children of God were surrounded by people who worshipped thousands of gods. Every day they heard thousands of Egyptians pray to thousands of gods, counting on those gods to keep them safe. They hung their hopes on all those gods, but there dawned a day when God had had it with how the Egyptians were treating his kids. They were about to come dangerously close to the one true living Almighty God. Once Moses stormed into Pharaoh's Oval Office and stuttered his short list of demands, God began raining ten plagues on Egypt, each plague a shock and awe attack on Egypt's gods. And their 2,000-plus gods could do nothing by themselves or altogether to save them or stop God from setting his people free. Now, thankfully, though, those days were behind them, and so was Egypt. But they still remembered all those days and all those prayers to all those gods. God wanted Israel to know no matter what they heard or saw over those last 430 years while they were slaves in the smelting furnace of Egypt. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. God could make that declaration and that demand because there is no other God beside him or before him or above him or after him or like him. God alone is God. But we don't worship cats and crocodiles, so can we just skip this first commandment and head straight to the second? Not quite. Because we often fall into the same trap the Egyptians did as they worshipped other gods. We just have other gods than their other gods. Over the years, I've seen good godly parents worship gods of success or entertainment. I've seen good godly parents take their kids to baseball and basketball and band and volleyball and soccer practice and miss church. Well-meaning parents, meaning well, wanting their kids to be active and involved. I think that's great. I do too. I remember the day in junior high, I went to my dad and said, Dad, Dad, I want to play football. I dreamed of playing wide receiver, sprinting past the defense, catching the ball over my shoulder, tiptoeing into the end zone. But my dad pulled the no needle and burst my dream bubble and said, No, son, you can't play football. They'll snap you like a twig. I wanted to protest. I wanted to show him how strong I was, how wrong he was, but he was right. I couldn't show off my muscles because I hadn't found them yet. I was little, weak, and slow, and clumsy, and I couldn't catch. But aside from that, I was a perfect fit for football. But dad and coach did concede, and they let me stand on the sidelines. Right there on Friday nights, amidst all the shiny silver helmets and bright scarlet jerseys, I was the hydration engineer. But I had a rule. If we had church, I was going to church. It wasn't because I was afraid God would turn Gatorade into blood. It was because I loved God and I wanted Him to be first. There will be games, concerts, recitals, practices on the same night as there are church services and youth rallies. But if those two pursuits, the pursuit of God and the pursuit of anything else, even the pursuit of happiness, continue to conflict... We have to make a choice. 
The first time it'll be difficult to tell the coach or the director, I'm sorry, we just can't be there because we go to church. That's priority and primary in our family. But if you don't, it will become so much easier to miss church and so much easier to allow our kids to miss church. We moms and dads would never say it with our words, but our actions say it for us. Some things are just more important than our relationship with God. But if our kids make the team but miss heaven, they lost, no matter how many championships they won. We have to teach our next generation with our words and our actions that our God is God and he has delivered us and there are no other gods before him. I've seen good godly men and women sign up for more overtime and come to fewer prayer meetings. They wake up earlier and go to sleep later just to make more money. In the busyness of business, they shelve their time with God for overtime at work. And I hear it and I heard it when I was a pastor. I'm sorry, I can't be there. I just have too much to do. I'm too busy to pray. These few eternal words of the first word ring ever in my ears. You shall have no other gods before me. This was good for Moses. This is good for us. God's not concerned we'll start worshiping bullfrogs and bulldogs, but he does know us. He created us, remember? He knows if we're not careful to worship him first and worship him alone, we'll start worshiping money or position or power or pleasure or entertainment. And just try when your kids are sick or when you're in danger or when you have no groceries, no money, and no paycheck coming in, just try to call on the God of entertainment to meet your needs, and all you will hear is deafening silence. The pursuit of anything before or besides God has become a God to us. If we're working more just to have more, nicer, newer, larger, faster in this life, then money and materialism have become a God to us. Israel did well for a while. Fast forward through the wilderness wanderings and they're sipping milk and slurping honey in the promised land. And everything is turning up roses for them until they wanted to be just like their new neighbors. And they wanted their new neighbors to like them. So they started marrying some of their new neighbors. But their new neighbors didn't worship God like they worshiped God. It took a while before they stopped worshiping God. At first they added a roster of other gods to the worship card. The more the merrier. But when they began to worship other gods, even though they didn't stop worshiping the one true God, their relationship with each other and with God fell apart. The next nine commandments build on the foundation of the first. You shall have no other gods before me. The children of Israel forgot those few foundational words of God's first foundational word. May the next generation say of our generation, they remembered. I would like us to pray. I'm sure some of you are mad at me, and that's okay. And I'm sure some of you disagree with me, and that's okay. But I want to pray that the Lord would help us to make sure in our life we have no other gods before him. The, the pursuit, whatever we're pursuing, would be after we make sure he's primary, he is priority. Would you search your heart? I will search mine, and let's pray together, Lord Jesus. I love you and thank you for all you've done for me. You have brought me out of Egypt. You have delivered me from sin. You laid down your life for me. You gave yourself for me. God, you have protected me more times than I can count and more times than I even know. You have healed my body. You have healed my family. You have given me a family. You protected Andrea on I-71 in 2015. I'll never forget that day. 
You have been so good to us, Jesus. You filled me with your Holy Spirit. You've forgiven all my sins. You have redeemed me from destruction. You have done what nobody else could do or would do for me. I love you, and I want to worship you alone. You're the only one who can help me. You're the only one who can hear my prayers. I pray today, Lord Jesus, help me to have no other gods. If success, even in a podcast like this, if I chase it just to be successful or just to be liked, please forgive me if I do this for any other reason than the glory of God and to build up your people and to make disciples. Forgive me. Help me to have no other gods, not money, not position, not power, not success, not fame. And let everybody who hears this podcast help them to pray this very sincere and honest prayer. Help us to have no other gods. If we do, search us, know our hearts, and let us know so we can repent and we can give ourselves wholly, fully to you. I pray this today and thank you in the lovely, precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ, Jehovah, who has become our salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Simplify listeners. I pray this episode has been a blessing. I pray it has challenged and convicted us. Please be sure to subscribe and share. Follow, like. Make sure you don't miss any episode. We are going to walk through the 10 words and see what they meant for Israel, what they mean for us, how we live them out in our lives. And some of you may say, "Eh, this sounds a little bit familiar. Good. That means you've read 10 words. I have written a couple of books, 10 words, and Simplify, the devotional that launches podcast. And since we are right now in our process of walking, we've just walked out of the book of beginnings. We're walking through the book of Exodus and we're in the wilderness and we're standing at the top of the mountain with a front row seat watching as God speaks to Moses and writes out 10 words on two tablets. I'm going to continue walking through those 10 words. But the book, 10 Words, is on sale at PentecostalPublishing.com. Use promo code SIMPLIFY and you can save 10% off your entire order. We're going to walk through those. There's more content in the book. These are just little Reader's Digest type versions of those chapters. But if you would like more, you can get that at PentecostalPublishing.com as well as some great resources to help you in your devotional walk with Jesus Christ. Or if you're in Mount Vernon, Ohio, the Knox County area, you can pick up 10 Words, signed copy at Paragraphs Bookstore, the corner of South Main and East Ohio Avenue. Next week, just as I mentioned, we're going to continue our walk through these 10 words, and I want to share with you a devotion called No Graven Images. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.